One of the um, one of the mitzvahs that we perform every day, a number of times a day, is the ritual washing of the hands. Although this is not one of the 613 commandments, it's a rabbinic commandment, we find that way back in the times of the temple, before the Kohen would go into the temple to do his service there, he would wash his hands and feet in a ritual fashion, in a prescribed fashion. The meaning of the washing of the hands, which we do before eating bread, and uh, upon getting up in the morning when the hands need to be cleaned. The washing of the hands obviously represents bringing holiness to the hands in preparation for the mitzvahs that we're going to fulfill or the bread that we're going to eat. It makes perfect sense that before you do a mitzvah, you wash your hands because you're about to do something holy and the hands are used for mundane activities which are not necessarily holy and so it makes perfect sense when you come in from the field before you sit down to eat you wash your hands you come in from work before you turn your attention to, to matters divine you wash your hands but what is the meaning of the prescribed fashion with which we're supposed to wash our hands. We wash our hands by using a cup. The water is gathered in the cup. We don't use a faucet. We don't use rain. We use water gathered, collected in a cup. And then we pour that water onto our hands. Why, do, why is that necessary? If the water is already flowing from the faucet, why don't we just put our hands into that water under the faucet and, and wash our hands that way. Instead, we collect the water from the faucet into the, into, the, uh, into the cup and then we pour the water out of the cup. So what is the purpose of doing that? If the water is going to flow on our hands, it's already flowing out of the faucet. Why does it need to be gathered in the cup? On the other hand, once we gather the water into the cup, you would expect that we would now dip our hands into the cup, into the gathered water. Since flowing water is not useful, it must be the gathered water that is useful, like a mikveh, where we immerse ourselves in the mikveh and cover ourselves completely with the water. But we don't do that either. In washing the hands, you don't put your water, your hands into the cup, and you don't immerse your hands in the water. You pour the water from the cup over the hands. So what is the meaning of this? First of all, Kabbalistically, the hands represent the emotions. The intellect is in the mind, and then the emotions that branch off from intellect, which are primarily positive and negative feeling, love and hate, kindness and severity, or judgment, they branch off from the mind to the right and to the left, 
which physiologically are our shoulders and our arms. So the right arm is kindness, and the left arm is judgment or severity. The fingers at the end of the hand represent the ten attributes as they are experienced emotionally. So every emotion contains all other emotions. You have kindness within kindness, you have severity within kindness, you have compassion within kindness, and you have, of course, the intellect behind the kindness. So you have ten combinations or ten ingredients within each emotion. So the fingers represent the details of the emotions. The fingernails represent the least sensitive part of the detail of the emotion. So the emotions are not as sensitive as the mind. The detail of the emotion is not as sensitive as the essence of the emotion. So, for example, severity within kindness is not as sensitive as kindness itself. And then you have the least sensitive part of that detail of the emotion represented by the fingernail. And that's why you can cut your fingernails and not hurt because there is so little sensitivity that although it grows and it's alive, it doesn't feel the pain when it is cut. And that's why the fingernails represent the least holy the most, the most easily corrupted part of our emotions. And just physically, it is under the fingernails that dirt gathers. Even when we wash the rest of our hand, the dirt under the fingernails are not necessarily washed away because the dirt there holds. It's stubborn. Also, the fingernails can turn a uh, friendly gesture, an affectionate gesture, into a painful one. Because when we pat someone on the, on the head or when we uh, caress a child's face, if the nails are too long or if we're not careful, then the nail can turn the, the uh, pleasant gesture into a very unpleasant one. And that's why there's an expression among Hasidim that when you want to reach out to someone, first make sure that you've trimmed your nails. Because reaching out can become painful if, if the fingernails get in the way. So the fingernails represent both a personal collection of uncleanliness, of, of unholiness uh, on one's person, and also the ability to inflict pain on another. And we're talking here about emotional pain. So the hands represent the emotions, and the fingernails of the hands represent the least sensitive part of the emotion. Now when we come to do a mitzvah, or when we start our day in which we're going to do mitzvahs, the first thing we do in the morning is wash the hands with uh, 
with emphasis on the fingernails. Because when we wake up, the unholiness of sleep instantly disappears from the rest of the body, but it lingers on the fingers, on the nails. What is the unholiness of sleep? The unholiness of sleep is the result of the mind losing its influence over the emotions. And we see from the nature of our dreams that what we imagine, what we experience in our dreams are terrible emotions that are totally meaningless. In a nightmare, we have real emotion. We are genuinely frightened or concerned or angry or frustrated. But these emotions have no cause. It's just a dream. Which means that during the day, the mind, while we're awake, the mind would never allow the emotions to react or to um, go off on, on that kind of, of experience without justification. Fright is a legitimate experience if there is something frightening you. But when there is nothing frightening you, the mind would not allow the heart to experience fright because it's not justified. It's not reasonable. Fear, anger, frustration, these are all legitimate feelings if there is a cause, when there is a cause, and when the cause is deserving of such a response or such a reaction. When it's not, the mind will not permit the heart to respond that way. But during sleep, the mind surrenders control over the emotions and withdraws into itself. And that's what sleep basically means. All the functions and faculties of the soul um, introverting, withdrawing into themselves, and not influencing each other. So the mind that usually influences the heart when awake doesn't during sleep. And so the heart has emotions completely independent of what the mind uh, approves of or disapproves of. Sometimes even the body gets up and does its own thing without the mind and without the heart. When we're awake, our physical activities usually are a reflection of either the feelings that we're experiencing or the thoughts and the opinions that we hold in our mind. But sleepwalking or talking in your sleep means that the body is acting without input, without direction, without influence of the mind or heart. And so when a person speaks it's in his sleep, it's usually nonsense, it's meaningless. And when a person walks in their sleep, it is without purpose and without justification and without real emotion behind it. So there's a breakdown in the hierarchy of influence in the human system. So for the hours of sleep, the eight hours or so, the heart is not responding to the mind, the mind is not influencing the heart, and in 
rare occasion, the body is not responding to the heart, and the heart is not influencing the body, the body's behavior. That's a very unholy state of affairs. Because emotions are intense, warm, exciting, but they need guidance. They need to have the influence of the mind to direct them, to guide them, to channel them, to harness them so that they become purposeful like the mind. And that makes these emotions different from the emotions that animals have. So human emotion is unique in that it is considerate of the mind's influence and it will emote the way the mind guides it and when the way the mind tells it to emote. When we wake up in the morning, generally that loss of influence that the mind had over the heart is now restored. The mind, again, is influencing the heart. When you wake up, the nightmare is over. Those unjustified feelings are immediately gone, or mostly gone. However, a little bit of that um, emptiness of emotion lingers in the least sensitive part of the emotion, in the fingernails. So there's a little touch, a little hint of sleep that lingers even after we wake up. And that is that some part of our emotion is still not listening, is not responding, is not sensitive to the, to the influence of the mind. Now, of course, there can be problems with the mind as well as the emotions. There are times when your emotions are truer, more, more moral, wiser than what your mind is telling you to do. But that's another subject, and that needs its own uh, treatment. Generally speaking, the mind is objective, the mind is wise, and uh, as a result of what we've learned and read and thought, our mind guides us in a more purposeful fashion than our emotions, and our emotions are supposed to be spontaneous, unpredictable, uh, innocent, but within the guidelines of, uh, of the mind's direction. So, how do we bring the influence of the mind to even the least sensitive parts of the emotions? We do this by washing our hands. And that's why the washing of the hands uh, is referred to in Hebrew as netilas yadayim, which really doesn't mean washing at all. It means raising up, taking up the hands. So the purpose of the washing is really to raise the hands, to make them once again completely sensitive to the guidance of the mind, to wisdom. So how do we bring wisdom to the hands? Wisdom is represented by water. The Torah sometimes is referred to as water, Torah, of course, is God's wisdom. Um, wisdom flows downwards like water. Wisdom purifies, clarifies, as does water. 
And so the water that we use to wash our hands with represents the influence of wisdom over the hands, over the emotions. So by pouring water over our hands, we're actually um, causing or stimulating the flow of wisdom from the mind to the heart, to the heart, to the emotions. And that's what we should be thinking when we wash our hands, that wisdom flows to the emotions. But there are different kinds of wisdom, or different kinds of activity of the mind. The mind itself has different functions, and not all the functions of the mind have a beneficial effect on the emotions. The creativity of the mind, for example, the person who has this fertile imagination and is very creative and original in his thoughts and in his perceptions, will not find that that influences the emotions in a very positive way. First of all, because the creative part of the mind is not concerned with the emotions. Kind of like the absent-minded professor. It doesn't bear on the emotions because it's not interested in the emotion. And so that's not the part of the mind, that's not the kind of wisdom that is going to elevate the hands or the insensitive parts of our feelings. The part of the mind, the part of the wisdom that can have a beneficial effect on our emotion is the part of the mind that is calm, that is collected, that is restful, peaceful. And that's why the water with which we wash our hand has to be collected in a vessel. This is called das. Not chachma, not bina, but das. This collected wisdom, this uh, restful wisdom, when the flow is interrupted, when the water calms down, when the water is, is, sta is stable, that kind of wisdom brought to the emotions has a very beneficial effect. And that's why we don't put our hands under running water because that running water is not wise enough to influence our emotions. So it may be bright, it may be brilliant, it may be exciting intellectually, but it's not going to have a calming effect on the emotion and therefore will not raise the emotion to a more purposeful and to a more meaningful behavior. On the other hand, we also don't stick our hands into the cup. We don't immerse our hands in the water because the purpose is to elevate, not drown the emotion. The wisdom is not there to replace the emotions. The love and the fear the kindness and the judgment, the compassion and the anger, they all need to be emotions. And emotions have their own properties, their own characteristics, their own nature. Wisdom 
should not interfere with that. The only thing lacking in the emotion is purpose, guidance, and that's what the wisdom has to provide. Not to change the nature of the emotion, but, but rather to choose its application. Where will you apply your emotion of kindness? When will you apply the emotion of severity or of judgment? For whom will you have compassion? When will you have compassion? That's what the mind is supposed to provide. But not to change the nature of compassion, or the spontaneity of it, or the intensity of it, or the naturalness of it, but simply to create the channels through which the natural, spontaneous kindness or compassion or judgment should flow. By putting the hands into the water, submerging the hands in the water, you're drowning the emotion, turning it into intellect, into wisdom, and that is far too um, cerebral. It's much too calculated for the emotion. So we don't drown the emotion in intellect. We bring the influence of, of wisdom, of the intellect, to the emotion. Now we do this also before we eat bread. Because it's not enough to raise your emotions, to elevate your feelings, before you do a mitzvah, which is a spiritual, godly, divine activity, it is also necessary to elevate your emotions before you engage in the most basic and in the most fundamental human activities. Because we want those human activities to have an, imp an imprint, to be influenced by holiness so that it too is raised, is brought up to a higher level and closer to godliness. So when we eat, and eating represents all human activity, when we do those things that the body needs, when we do those things that are natural to the body, we elevate those activities as well to bring some meaning and some godliness or wisdom to them as well. And so when when we're going to eat bread, which is the staple of life, before we eat the bread, we raise our hands up a higher level. Now, the custom used to be that you take the water in the cup and you pour the water over your hand, first the right hand, then the left. And... Uh, when you wake up in the morning, you do it uh, first on the right hand once, then on the left hand, and then back to the right hand, inconsistently. Whereas when you wash for bread, you do three times on the right hand, three times on the left hand, and it's done. But it used to be the custom that the water was poured over each hand only twice. And that was changed to where you, do, you wash each hand three times. Now the difference between washing twice or washing three times is that when you wash your hands the first time, 
that washes away the unholiness or the ungodliness that rests on the hands because of their insensitivity, emotional insensitivity. The second time, you are pouring holiness or wisdom to replace the unholiness or the lack of wisdom that existed before. So the first time you wash, it's to remove the negative. The second time is to bring the positive. When you wash three times, it would mean that the first time is to wash away the negative. The second time is to wash away the water with which you remove the negative. And then the third time is to bring the holiness. And today we have the custom of washing three times because in our world today, even that with which we clean away the unholy becomes unholy to the degree where we're not yet ready for holiness. So we need to wash twice just to remove the unholy and the lingering effects of the unholy before we can wash the third time, which is bringing in the holiness. So because the darkness has, go has grown greater and because the insensitivity has become so, uh, so profound, every effort we make at removing the insensitivity is itself influenced by the insensitivity. So when we tell ourselves how ugly the insensitivity is, when we think about how undesirable the cruelty is or the lack of meaning is, those thoughts themselves then need to be removed before we can come to something positive. And so it used to be that if we could appreciate the ugliness of a sin, that would remove the sinfulness, and we are now ready for holiness. But with the advent of Hasidus, we discovered that even those thoughts with which we combat unholiness, even those thoughts are not completely innocent and completely pure and do not constitute true holiness. So just not sinning, uh, not being cruel because it's so ugly to be cruel is not enough. And as we see in, in the events of recent times where children and adults have become so insensitive, so unfeeling, that it is, is really awesome and, and frightening as to how far the insensitivity has gone. And now to come along and say, but that's horrible, shooting people, innocent people, killing children, it's so horrible. Even if that thought could be convincing, and even if that thought could stop people from killing, we haven't gotten to anything holy yet. Because even the thought of how insensitive and ugly and horrible and terrible murder is, even that thought is horrible and terrible. And if that's all we have, all we have is an aversion to what is vulgar and, and, and violent and criminal and corrupt, that aversion is itself in need of elevation because it's dealing with ugliness. It, it admits to the existence of ugliness. 
It responds to the existence of ugliness. And we need to remove ourselves to a place of holiness where even the thought doesn't exist, where even the possibility does not exist. And that's the third time. So we wash three times. Once to wash away the cruelty. Second, to wash away the possibility of cruelty. Even if we condemn the cruelty, we still recognize that it's possible. And we wash that away. And then the third time is to bring the positive, holy, and godly influence of our truest wisdom to our emotions so that not only do we know that there's a purpose to life, and not only are we comforted in that awareness, not only does that give us the strength to proceed optimistically, confidently, positively in our daily life, but we even feel it in our emotions so that our compassion is more responsive, our kindness is more willing, and our judgment is more moral. All of our feelings are more focused. They have a purpose, and they lead us, even the most insensitive part of the emotion leads us only to good things, to godliness, to holiness. Shalom Aleichem. How are you? You know, I do a lot of talking, a lot of Zooming, many classes, many subjects, but that's all formal stuff. Hopefully good stuff, but formal. We also have a Wednesday night meeting that's more informal and kind of um, Hamish. If you want to join us for that kind of an event, um, interactive, time for questions and so on, if you want to join us for this side of conversation, click on the link below and join us every Wednesday night at nine o'clock. Well, maybe not every Wednesday night, but we try to make it every Wednesday night at nine o'clock, a more informal chat, which uh, can be more enjoyable at times than the formal stuff. So check it out, click on the link and join us. Try it, you'll like it. <laughs>